How do you build a life where you are excited to wake up in the morning, become excellent at what you do and create the greatest possible good for yourself, others and the world? That's our guiding question on The Master's Journey. Hey, my friend, my name is Lucas Kramer, coach, co-founder and your host on the Master's Journey podcast, where we have conversations with existing and aspiring masters of life and business to share with you how they found their path in life, the real challenges they have had to overcome and how they did it and what strategies, practices and questions you can implement in your life to follow in their footsteps. And today, I get to bring you the amazing Andrew Lawless and the fascinating stories he has to share. Andrew is a fellow certified high performance coach who specializes in helping executives and business owners transform their teams. He has offices in Galway, Ireland and in Austin, Texas. He is certified in Colby Wisdom, Strategic Intervention and High Performance Coaching. Andrew brings a unique track record in executive and operations management, sales management, personal development, and behavioral sciences. His accomplishments include managing a corporate turnaround of Berlitz in Central and Eastern Europe to transforming the World Bank's global approach to disseminating its analytical work. Andrew is a finalist for the prestigious Colby Professional Award, and he discussed his work with the Obama White House and testified before the U.S. Senate on the importance of professional development for the U.S. economy security. He served as a trainer and consultant to the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit and is a former adjunct professor at the University of Maryland. During this conversation, Andrew takes us through the entire roller coaster of the first decades of his life and what they've taught him. He shares how he got to interview Bill Gates and the one piece of advice he shouldn't have taken from him. We talk about how Andrew finally broke the negative patterns and habits that were holding him back and how you can do it too. And Andrew shared the theme, the one question that has always helped him create success. Wherever you are on your journey, and no matter how big the challenge you're facing might be, this episode will inspire you to find new opportunities and take the next step. Here is Andrew Lawless. Hey, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of the Master's Journey podcast. And I've got my good friend, Andrew Lawless, joining me today. So, Andrew, thanks so much for being here and welcome. How are you? Oh, Lucas, I'm so honored to be on your show. It's awesome. Thank you. It's very cold in Austin, Texas right now. So uh, um, I have also the blessing to be in the only room in the house right now that is hot. <laughs> so all good. Happy to hear that. I, and if anything happens, let me know and I'll call an ambulance if anything. <laughs> so as people know, I'm always trying to start out on something where I can point out a superpower of the person I'm talking to, or just a great story about them. And one of the things that stood out to me about you was 
a quality I saw when we had a call to set up this podcast to make it happen. And just immediately when we got on the call, your first question was just right away, how can I help? There wasn't anything around it. Your immediate reaction was, how can I help? Afterwards, I was talking to you about the German coaching community I'm starting right now. And again, you went like, how can I help? How can I support you? And all of that just made me feel very special. Like that was a super emotional twist in there where suddenly you have that reaction going, wow, Andrew is different. And also when we talked about, you know, I need a bio, a picture, you just send that over right away. And I just wanted to ask you basically, what are your thoughts or principles behind that? What's your thinking behind that attitude that you bring to the table? I think it's an attitude that, that you need uh, in, in all aspects of life, right? So I always think um, like you are in a, like in a, if you're in a water fountain, just imagine a water fountain and you are down here and you want to be here. The only thing to make it to the top is by pushing the, the water that's over you higher, right? So that's, um, and if you make that a life uh, philosophy, life becomes so much easier, rewarding, the relationship change, because you enter new relationships not by asking for help, but for, by providing value. And you know, the right people will show up. Wow. I'm, you know, I'm always interested just in, in the self-talk piece and in the daily habits and strategies. Was that because I also know you talk a lot about conditioning with your clients and with yourself. How was that something that you trained yourself to do? Was that something that happened to you because it was like always your thing? How did you make that happen? And how did you make it a habit to be? In I, don't, I don't know. It's like for, uh, for one, I was, I wasn't born. Maybe I was born with it. I don't, I don't know, but I, I had an accident when I was three and a half um, and I almost lost my uh, left leg and I you know, walked with a limp like off my basically like the first 15 years of my life. And um, where I grew up in like a blue color area next to a glass factory with the railroad tracks in between my house and the factory, like, you know, could have been a backdrop of a Bruce Springsteen song, you know? <laughs> um, if you like walk with a limp and, you know, um, and my torso is a little bit twisted from that, you know, um, you're a natural target. So I always got beaten up, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think at age nine, I decided I need to do something about it. And I took like judo classes and um, then I learned that judo doesn't really work for like, you know, the, the when self-defense when you get attacked on the street and went through a decade of, you know, finding the right thing and, and fighting back. But in that process, I also always had that heart for the underdog. Yeah, so I remember in school, uh, at one point, nobody was touching anymore because I was really able to fight if I wanted to. I'm, I've, never I've never attacked, but if you attacked me, I would fight back. And all the, the, the underdogs would like sit next to me uh, in school, right? And then uh, there's this one boy who's like, lovely, lovely person. I forgot the name, but very shy. And then one of the bullies comes over, takes the uh, satchel and drops it off. And I just stand up, look at him, and they put it back in. <laughs> so so I, 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 in many ways, I, I enjoyed being in that role, right? Um, I, it was meaningful to me to make a difference in the people that, that, that I can help or touch, you know? 
Um, and uh, so over time that has become uh, a life's philosophy, not always as refined as it is right now, right? So <laughs> you all make mistakes, but um, yeah, so that I think that's where that's coming from. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, you already made the jump into your, what I call the master's journey of just your story of developing mastery of what you do. And one of the main reasons why I was just looking forward to this episode so much and what I think is a real gift of yours and how you can help people is your unique superpower that you shared with me during one of our first conversations. And I just believe that it's so important, especially for people right now at the time of this recording, February 2021, where there are just so many shifts happening. There's so much uncertainty. And you shared with me that your unique superpower is to get into a new job or a new project as an entrepreneur and to become successful in the shortest amount of time. To make those changes happen in the shortest amount of time. Yes. And yeah. that was just so fascinating. And another phrase that you told me was when I invest in a new tool, for example, a new certification where we got to meet around certified high performance coaching, my goal is to 10x this investment within a quarter. And when I was prepping for this episode, I just realized, you know, right now, I'm sure there are a lot of people just going through transitions and wanting to be great at adapting quickly at making success happen quickly. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit to that superpower and just how you make it happen? I, I, I never know, knew that was my superpower. Um, like if, you, if you know a little bit about my bio, I started out um, as a, a journalist for a computer magazine. Like for those that are my age, you see my gray hair, right? So it's the uh, the Commodore C64. That was the first computer that you know you could plug into a TV and, and play games and. And at the time, I was actually, um, I wanted to learn, I wanted to study medicine, right? But then, uh, so I also volunteered um, uh, in Germany, in Düsseldorf at a, at a hospital. So I worked at night, went to school in the morning, and then slept <laughs> in the afternoon for like two days, for two years. And, and uh, so and then I figured that I'm in an environment that I, that I didn't want to be in, because I also noticed that how many people don't want to be healed right and and the work against them and and so at least that's how i felt at the time and then i said no, it's, it's not an environment that i would want to be in i'm more of a boy like to be in an environment where i can contribute and lift people up more effectively right mm -hmm. uh, but i didn't know i was like what i'm 20 yeah 20 or so i didn't know what to do so uh i decided that I'm going to start uh, electrical engineering, right? And um, I hated that, right? <laughs> because <laughs> it was like too technical and I wanted to, I wanted to be in Google computer science, but at the time in Germany, there was no computer science, right? So you, you either studied either math, mathematics, or you studied electrical engineering and then would specialize after, you know? Um, so the idea of, of learning about the computers um, at the time was just, uh, un, uh, it was just crazy. <laughs> so as you know, the Germans are not the most progressive people when it comes to new technology. Um, and um, so again, after, after a year, I said, nah, that's not for me either. And I didn't know else know what to do because of my martial arts background, I decided to study Japanese. But then in between, I 
I uh, worked at the, uh, uh, I, I helped um, you know, at conventions, like when you build booths, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I actually brought the, brought the material there and the furniture and the head building the booths and everything. And at one of those conventions, there was um, uh, a wanted ad for the leading computer magazine at the time called 64 magazine, like for the C64. And I just sent in my application, right? So I did a little bit of programming. I was not a, I was not a pro. Um, I wrote a little bit for some newspapers before. And guess what? They hired me. <laughs> so, and, I, and I entered the, the, the team and I was the least qualified in terms of like knowing about computers, right? And the, the, the least qualified person. But uh, within two years, I was managing a third of the magazine um, and uh, wrote a book, uh, which was the number one best-selling computer book in Germany for 11 months. That was pre-internet, right? So that was the real hard work <laughs> at the time. So, um, and yeah, so that's an example where, you know, I just took something, I worked hard and then turned it around, but I've never felt that that was something special, mm -hmm. right? And then, yeah, so anyway, so then the rest of my story is like I, from the book, I got all the royalty payments, I started my own thing and uh, the phone didn't ring, right? So nothing you know and again it was pre-internet you know there was uh, i had a cell phone but um there was like you know you see net you know <laughs> these big things you know and um uh, nothing happened you know nothing and i in desperation translated a few books for microsoft press right from like uh, using ms dos uh, for uh, using microsoft word for ms dos 4.0 <laughs> so back then and um, at one point, Forbes magazine calls, right? So yeah, that, this that gives an idea like where Germany was at the time, right? So Forbes magazine, the German uh, uh, edition, they called me and said, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry that we're calling you and because you're that established author and, and, and uh, yeah, I wish, you know. Anyway, so they said, you know, we, we have this computer geek coming from the US and normally we wouldn't do an interview with him, but Steve Jobs Jr., Steve Forbes, Steve Forbes Jr. had lunch with him two weeks ago and, uh, you know, we, we got to do an interview with him. He's flying to, to, uh, to Moscow to introduce his Kyrillic version uh, of his software and I don't know what that is. Are you available like uh, the, the day after tomorrow to meet that person at the airport in Frankfurt? And I said, yeah, I looked at the five Deutschmarks that I had in my pocket and I said, yeah, of course, you know? And um, so I, and then I said, who's the guy? And he looks at the sheet of paper and said, uh, Bill Gates, <laughs> you know? Imagine that was like, he was already worth a billion dollars when he was 35 years old. There was not a single journalist in Germany who was willing to meet him. The only reason why I went there because nobody else would and Bill had uh, dinner with Steve Forbes Jr. Uh, two weeks earlier. You know? And then I met Bill for like four hours at the airport, you know, and that skyrocketed, skyrocketed my, uh, my, my career as a, as a journalist. And, and uh, yeah, and Bill then uh, at one point said, uh, you know what, Andrew, you need to be in multimedia. Multimedia is really the future. Yeah? 
um, said, what do you mean multimedia? I said, yeah, audio and video and not just uh, writing, you know? And I said, okay, like here's a billionaire who gives me a piece of advice, so I better follow it. And I took it. And um, so at the time, uh, Bill Gates was all about the uh, Encarta, not the CD-ROM, uh, you know? Um, and uh, so he was securing rights in Germany, like from the Deutsche Museum in, uh, in, in Munich and so on for his CD. And so I put all of my, I walked into, <laughs> there was, I walked into a TV station and like, like a local cable station, TV Weiss Blau, yeah, TV Bavaria, like so I think it's today. And um, they were, they, they had problems fitting the format and I just walked in and, said, yeah, I would like to produce a show. I had no idea how to do this, you know? And they, and they said, yeah, sure, we give you a camera team and a studio and, uh, and you can get started, you know? And I was sitting in the, uh, in the reception area and there was this, this, this woman, girl, very young, you know, still, yeah? uh, and she was like managing everything that she looked very, uh, uh, she, like she, was, she knew what she was doing, right? So I walked up to her and said, look, I'm happily married and so on, so I'm not hitting on you, but, uh, I'm having a show. I cannot pay you, but you know, so, uh, if we do something you know, together, that could be that could be great, you know. And she said, "Yeah, I'm going to do it," you know. So and then we did the show and and uh, turn, wanted to turn that into CD-ROMs. And as you know, the CD-ROM business did not um, turn out to uh, you know, to be that successful because the internet took over and long story short, I lost half a million dollars and lost my money and got was broke, you know? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that you got into that story because I took a note of that where you basically told me at one point, you know, there was this one piece of advice from Bill Gates that I wish I had never taken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, like what are the odds, right? You take that one piece of advice from a billionaire and. I also had to learn that billionaires in, uh, in, invest money in something and, and um, when they lose a few million, um, that, that's okay for them. Uh, for somebody like me at the time, that was fatal, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah, and then I went to, um, so then I was at home and I had like 20 Deutschmarks at the time left. And, and so I needed to, make, needed to make a decision whether or not I'm gonna use the 20 Deutschmarks for, uh, to, uh, to buy food or to put gas in my tank uh, and drive to, at the time there was this exhibition called CBIT, like it was the world's largest computer exhibition at the time in Hanover and I still had my press pass, right? So that, you know, I can, I can, I can drive there and go to the press lounge and have free food and, you know, so and, and uh, maybe I can run some business. And so they, I walk in there and then the guys from Microsoft Press at the time that I knew, uh, they said, hey, Andrew, come up, you know, so that's like two-story booth, you know, with like upstairs with like champagne and, you know, canapes and, you know, little, little snacks and so on. I thought, oh, great, you know, it's like food, you know. And next to me was this guy who, who uh, uh, you know, asked me about my story and, and uh, I told him everything and um, how I failed. And so that turned into a, a longer conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And at one point, I think the, the second or third meeting or so, he said, uh, you know what, uh, my name is, it was Stefan von Holzbrink, right? It's the, uh, the, uh, now the CEO of Germany's second largest publishing group uh, was sitting there and said, here, I'm, I'm a co-owner of this publishing group and I'm starting a new, uh, like a new media division. 
I'm looking for somebody like you. How about I buy your company? You can pay off your debt and uh, you can publish all of my titles, all of your titles in my company. It's like, so I looked at my remaining two Deutschmarks and said, oh, not a bad idea. <laughs> so, and so that, that was my venture into, uh, uh, into public, book publishing and multimedia publishing, moved to New York. Yeah. So. A big lesson that I'm taking away from that, what has apparently always helped you is just being in the proximity of what's happening, what, like the people who are making stuff happen, being at the core of an industry and having that bringing you opportunities even when times get super dark. That's one of the takeaways I'm getting just from what you've been sharing. With I would say it's more desperation. You know? <laughs> but you, well, you do things, right? You go, you, you, the, the more things you do, the more people you help, the more people you lift up. And if you, the more you go into the world with uh, the one question, which is how can I be of service here? rather than where can I get my new job or where do I find my new opportunity? Ask yourself, how can I be of service here? And uh, the, the people will appear, you know? So, yeah. Awesome. And then there's another piece of your story that just the first time you told me about it just hit me so much. Fast forward to 2008, 2009. So basically the time before you got into coaching and your current business where you faced a similar point and then also had to reinvent and get into get new opportunities to happen and yeah. show up for your family. But I'm going to let you tell the story, of course. If you well, but, but yeah, we, that also then gets us in a totally different story, a different realm of this conversation. Mm -hmm is the, the behavioral patterns that you have over the year that had served you at one point that uh, eventually will no longer serve you, right? Uh, and how actually your body develops, uh, or your, 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 your sympathetic nervous system develops a need for certain chemicals that you produce in your body. Mm -hmm. And when they're missing and you want to change, they pull you back into your old behavior, right? But I talk about that uh, uh, in a moment, but you know, so what I haven't told is that because of my martial arts background, I was also always very, very uh, active in martial arts. And when I moved to New York, um, I uh, uh, announced to the world that I was the best fighter in the tri-state area. And uh, guess what? You know, some people took me serious and they challenged me, and we had some like real good fights, like not not competition, but. Kind of like one of us is going to be carried out on a stretcher kind of fight, you know. And um, at one point, uh, seven or eight guys from a rivaling school came and pushed my students against the wall. One had a gun here, they all had sticks, you know. And um, so, and they challenged me to fight. And I saw my students, and like, if I'm going to escalate that right now, they're going to be in danger. So, I, I, I toned it down. And, so, but the uh, New York Observer got the hold of that story and wrote a, a one-page article, which started with, you know, uh, Andrew Brahim was my name at the time, uh, who serves as a software executive during the day and martial arts instructor at night. <laughs> and then I saw the entire story and, and as a result of that, I got fired and um, was basically unemployable in New York for a while. Um, because, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Proholzberg at the time said, I think rightly so in hindsight, you know, uh, uh, he was very gracious also, you know, and, and very generous uh, in his approach. 
said, you know, um, we, we cannot afford that uh, any of our executives uh, are being portrayed now like, you know, wrestling with thugs basically, you know, um, in, in, on the floor somewhere in the studio in New York, you know. So um, I got fired and um, uh, I also at the time had an offer to become head of the VP of, of multimedia or new media. I think was it NBC or so, NBC or ABC, I forgot, there was a conversation with other companies um, and they all rescinded their offers, you know, as a result of that story. So I was like, okay, I'm unemployable here right now, right? So, and um, so then they got me, so and then for some reason, the company called Belitz contacted me and um, uh, for a job in back in Germany, you know, for to be managing director for Central and Eastern Europe, which I took, right? Because I wasn't, my career that was over, you know? So, yeah. So that's what when I went from, from software development, from, from publishing to software development to localization, which is the cultural adapt adaptation of, of, um, of products. Uh, that includes translation and some other, other activities, yeah. So new career, right? Totally new career. Uh, May I just totally jump in there for a moment? Yeah. Because one of the questions that just came up for me is after everything you've been through and just all the stuff that has happened and the other companies also rescinding their offers and just really bad, just getting worse. And I'm just wondering, how did you continue to look for positive next steps. I can see a lot of people who would turn really resentful towards being itself, towards life. And that is just a question that popped up for me where it's how did you stay positive and constructive, let's say? How will you not? <laughs> right? At the end of the day, uh, when those things happen, you need to say, you need to acknowledge that it sucks, um, but you need to own it. And at the end of the day, it's because of the decisions that you made. You know? Bill Gates didn't put again gun to my head, you know, saying, you've got to do this. You know, I did this myself. You know, um, nobody forced me to, uh, you know, uh, claim that I'm the best fighter in the tri state area. You know, um, the New York Observer did uh, interview me and I agreed to that interview, right? So there were some mistakes that I made. And, uh, then at the end of the day, you've got to say, you know what, uh, sucks, but I need to own it. And I do not know if I, get, if I will get out of here alive, right, or, or well. But what I do know that in a lousy mindset, I won't, you know, so. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just to highlight one of the principles we also always challenge our clients on of that piece of ownership and responsibility that you've just been role modeling there. Yeah. For years, so I just want to acknowledge that about you. Well, thank just you. Give you huge congratulations because I can only imagine how hard some or just challenging, frustrating some of these moments must have been. So, well, it was actually exciting because you know <laughs> I, I I flew to Germany and I and I thought in my head like when I when they flew me in uh, to the headquarters there of Berlitz, like uh, I don't want to move back to Germany, right? So. Uh, and then the door opened and uh, Wolfgang Wiedler, who was my then boss, that became, would become my boss eventually. I saw him, I looked at him and I, you know, sometimes you see a person and you know, I, I got to work for that person, right? And that was 
one of the best decisions I've made in my entire career. He's been a mentor like for, for me, like way after I left, you know, and uh, he's still uh, one of the, the, the people that I look up to the most, you know, in my life. And uh, so, yeah, so I said, okay, I got to work for this guy. <laughs> so, so we did it. And then I went through reverse culture shock. That was, that was hard, you know, you go from like New York City, uh, uh, where we lived, where we were worked at 56 and six, kind of like that area, you know, and then um, uh, went to uh, Zindelfing in Germany, right? So, <laughs> so it's like a, a, a big change and, and I think we all struggled, yeah. Uh, but again, so then uh, with, within, within a few months, I became one of the uh, leading uh, experts and pioneers in that industry. That was totally new to me. All right. Um, also, by going out and going working with the, uh, the the largest industry association at the time, said, "How can I help? You know, how can I support you?" And uh, so they reeled me in. Right. So, yeah. And then the uh, so then I quit my job, right, because I I, I wanted to go back to the, to 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 the U.S. and they wouldn't bring me back because I was too successful there. And they told me that. So, like, you know, we meet you there. And we do not have a job for you in the US. I thought, okay, then I, I quit. So I quit and um, didn't have a job. So I didn't know what to do. And this is how great life is, right? So, and remember this pre-internet, right? So you couldn't go to like Monster or Indeed and, and look for jobs, right? It had to be written letters and phone calls and all of that. And I said, I, I, I knew I was not able to do that out of Sindelfingen, Germany. So I called a friend of mine in, um, in New Jersey and said, Hey Jeff, can you um, can I stay with you for a month and start my my job hunting campaign? He said, Yeah, sure. You're like a brother, you know. So okay, great. So I flew over, and um, this is not it's a true story. I land, I switch on my cell phone, and uh, which was a um, uh, you know that that T-Mobile phone that was flip up. What's it called? It's the danger phone, or it's, it's cool, or the coolest phone at the time, and. Um, so I turned it on and there was a voicemail on there. I said, okay, let me, let me check, you know? And uh, so the voicemail started on here. Here, this is Susan Blakely of the World Bank um, in Washington, D.C. And um, can you give me a call back, you know? So I said, okay, great. Maybe it's a client for Blitz. I still, you know, uh, honor my, 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 my commitment there. So I called them back right away. And she said, no, no, I'm a headhunter with the World Bank and uh, uh, we would like you to work for us, you know? I'm like, no, funny that you should ask. I just landed you know, to start my job hunting career. And they say, oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, uh, you would have to go through the regular uh, uh, application process. But mm -hmm. since we're here right now, let me fly you in. You can meet with a few people. So I flew in and met the people. And um, at that moment, I decided I'm not going to start my job hunting campaign because I'm going to get that job. I didn't know at the time that they were like interviewing 84 other people. <laughs> so, wow. In hindsight, I was a little bit naive, but uh, it worked out, right? So then uh, I needed to fly back and interview for two days, which was tough. You know, I flew in um, like three days before Christmas or so. And the night uh, uh, I arrived, there was a folder that thick on my bed. And I'm like, you know, that's you know, everything that we interview on, the entire case studies, where the, where the unit is and all of that. And uh, you will, you're going to interview in front of four interviewing panels consecutively in, in, in two days. You know? 
Wow. And I all quiet, you know, so I did it. And um, uh, then flew back on a Friday night, was home for Christmas. And I think on December 27, I got a call that I got a job, you know. So, and what I, what I want to tell people here that are watching this, that job formally required either a doctorate or an MBA. And I'm a college dropout. Remember my story? I'm a college dropout. And the highest, or the most, one of the most prestigious organizations, institutions in the world hired me into a position that formally required a doctorate or an MBA. And they actually had to tweak their HR system to make that happen, right? So, but which tells you if you, if, if, if you want to be good at something, if you want to, if you approach everything from a, from a uh, attitude of serving, right? And ask your question, where can I save? How can I serve here, right, right now? Um, these things happen. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. yeah. And then the World Bank uh, became um, the worst job that I had in my life. <laughs> so it is. It's like I was, I was, I was, um, uh, I failed basically. You know, so, well, I did a lot of, I did a good lot of good things there, but I, but I've never ever in my career up to this point had achieved so little in five years, right? So I was always like, come on, come on, get things done, and deliver, and 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 help people, change people, change the world, you know, change the product, you know, um, to make things better for your audience. And and at the World Bank, I didn't have the opportunity to do it. And I was very, like, after five years, I left the World Bank divorced, where she separated and then divorced. Um, I would find myself in, um, in a studio apartment, a bachelor apartment, where I only had a, a flat, like a widescreen TV, uh, a massage chair, because my nine-year-old son uh, wanted that, you know? <laughs> so, and I, and I wanted to make that happen. And... Um, uh, and one plate, right, which we only used in emergencies, like when I couldn't find the ashtray, you know, and so we need to throw out this ticket stuff somewhere. And and uh, so my mother died that year from cancer. And uh, so everything happened in one year. Like, so I uh, got divorced, separated, moved out, mother died, lost my job. <laughs> so it was not, it was great. But the, uh, the World Bank um, hired me back as a consultant, right, the next day, which was good. And that's when, my, when, when the interesting work started, because that's when I started implementing operations and countries like Cameroon and Mozambique and Argentina and Jamaica and China and Russia. So and they flew me first class all the time, which was cool. But I was out of, out of uh, um, out of the country for 90 percent of the time, and I wanted to be closer to my son. You know? yeah. So uh, I, one point, I said I remember I was sitting in Mozambique, Yahoo.com, <laughs> like chatting with people, trying to find like you know coaching, coaching assignments, uh, not the consulting assignments. Mm -hmm. um, and as you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the global financial uh, crisis broke out. And um, uh, so I found myself with no clients, no money, uh, no income, and nobody was hiring. Right? It was, that, was, that, that was tough. And then one day um, I was at a supermarket and I couldn't buy an ice cream for a dollar for my son. 
right? And at that time, my then girlfriend, other story that I have not even woven in, uh, she's Irish, and she was Irish, and she's not she's still Irish, but she's my wife. You know? <laughs> so, uh, she called me and said, you know what, I'm going to uh, quit my job and move to Washington, D.C. And then she was living in Galway, Ireland. And I'm like, uh, shouldn't one of us have a job? <laughs> and she, like the great person that she is, she said, you know what, I'd rather live on the street with you than, than um, uh, alone in Ireland. You know? so, but that was the moment when, when I say, you know what, enough of the self-pity. I, I need to pick myself up again and, and, and do something about it. And that's when the biggest growth started. You know? I started consulting and then, uh, yeah. And then eventually that morphed to coaching. Yeah. I know, long answer, you didn't want that, but. <laughs> I did want that. <laughs> I did want that. And it's this is just so fascinating to me because you just shared basically, you know, it was 2008, 2009, nobody's hiring, nobody's looking for consulting or coaching, basically. And yet still, there was this moment of turnaround for you where you say, you know, I need to make this happen. I need to take care of my family. I need to take the next step. And this is, again, probably where your superpower also can kick back in. But as I'm sure maybe people listening to this have felt this or they know somebody who's going through that right now with pretty much maybe the same circumstances of what's happening, of having to yeah. find a new way. So could you walk us through your story of going from that decision to creating results? It's desperation, you know. So uh, if you are a, a, a few days away from not being able to pay your mortgage. And um, so what also happened is this, right? So um, while I was in Mozambique, um, I think my escrow payments uh, 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 on my mortgage, so escrow payments are payment that they withhold for, for property taxes mm -hmm. went up by $17 and get pre like, you know, internet. And so yeah, we had some emails, but uh, that was difficult, you know, uh, especially when you're in Mozambique. So that payment went up by $17 and I was on, uh, it was an auto payment. And um, so that got paid. Uh, but since it was $17 below what the invoice was, um, that counted as a non-payment. And uh, non-payment means that your credit score drops by 150, like overnight, right? Uh, for, on your mortgage, not your credit card, your mortgage right? by, drops by, by 100, 150 points. Then all the credit cards that I had were, you know, the, the, uh, the credit line was reduced to what I owed. So now I was maxed out on all cards <laughs> overnight, you know, which further uh, made my, my, my credit score drop. So I had a credit score like below 600, uh, which doesn't tell you anything of the German, but, but uh, it's, it's not good. <laughs> so you, you will not be able to get any, like, like at the time you wouldn't be able to get to buy a used car or anything. From there, you know? mm -hmm. so, um, and everything gets more expensive, your insurance payments and all of that. So it's all bad news, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and all of that. And then when that all led up to that situation in the supermarket with my, I'm not gonna buy, I'm not able to buy my son an ice cream for a dollar and my girlfriend wanna come over and quit her job. Um, so I had this one lead, right? She was in, in, in big trouble herself, right? There's one lead and I was determined I'm gonna to get today $3,000 out of her, no matter what, 
and I did, you know. So and I undersold my services and so on. And uh, and she is still is to this day one of my like one of my most favorite clients. And um, when she wants something, she gets you know uh, the number one priority. Uh, and with that one one sale, suddenly you know uh, things started to happen. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for going into that story too, because I'm, of course, also a little bit of personal interest in terms of building coaching businesses, yeah. but also just because I know many people listening to this are on their own journey of building a business on the one hand, but also wanting to understand what are, what is it that makes shifts for people and as a successful coach like you are, thankfully, you can give us insights into both realms, into the building of the business and into what actually helps people and moves them forward. So I wanted to ask you, could you share us, share with us that story after you got that first client and how you built that coaching business and what worked best for you in that process? Yeah, I don't know. It just happened. So um, I I went from zero to a million in in, uh, in three years, you know, um, and uh, you know, it's, it all comes back to you meet people, you go out, and you ask yourself the question: How can I be of service here? Right, and eventually that right person will show up. And I had one client in particular who wanted me to grow, right? Who supported me in my business, right? Who helped me craft a statement of work and you know and, and folks and made introductions to to their colleague her colleagues in the company and, and other departments and went with me to the White House to testify uh, where I had the ability to testify the successes I had with that company. And she came with me, you know. Um, she flew to Paris with me to uh, like, I, I had a panel at a conference where I wanted her and her fiercest competitor, you know, on the stage with me. And so that we could have a conversation and they both flew in with me, right? So they were both, both, both the women were extremely supportive of me at the time. And they flew on their own dime, you know, to Paris, right? To that conference uh, to support me, you know? And uh, I, I was like, I was so hard warmed by it, you know, um, uh, but I think when you serve people and then you ask for help once, they they actually want to help, right? <laughs> Because like, yeah, like you've done so much for me right now. How can I, how can I pay back? You know, that's all I can tell you. It's like, figure out how you can serve and the money will come. That is something where I also sometimes probably catch myself and also see it a lot in the marketplace where people are just overcomplicating stuff where they go into looking the, for the one strategy that's basically going to solve everything. Yeah. And I know that you're also working with a lot of people and helping them grow their businesses, helping them grow their practices. So we've probably already mentioned that a little bit, but switching that around, are you also seeing the mistakes that people are making or just where they fail? Well, I see that uh, a lot of has to do with habits, right? At the end of the day, it comes to the habits that you, that, that you, that you put in. And um, 
if you uh, you know that I'm a certified in high performance coaching, uh, which is Brendan Bouchard's coaching program. Uh, and I like that a lot because it, it, it teaches you new habits. However, I also learned that your autonomous nervous system always pulls you back into your old habits, right? So uh, you, probably, you probably have had that when you said, you know, I need to lose weight, but you know what? Uh, it's Friday, let's go through the weekend, let's do it on Monday. That is already your autonomous nervous system pulling you back, mm -hmm. right? Or you do it for a few days and then you stop doing it, right? And then you tell yourself it's too hard and you're not wired for it, it's not for you, right? Um, so, and I had the same experience with uh, the High Performance Habits by Brandon Bashar. And then I came across uh, Joe Dispenza's work. I don't know if you know Joe Dispenza, but he's done a lot of work on, on, on mindset and, and how you're know, setting attention and, and using the chakras and hypnosis, not hypnosis, and meditation uh, to manifest that life that you want. Uh, and from him, I learned that you literally have to become someone else you know, to, uh, to um, uh, adopt those habits. Because when you look at the story that I told you, uh, the pattern is always the same. I start something new, I'm I'm, I make it successful, then it collapses, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'm in crisis mode. I start something new, right? Uh, I'm successful, then it collapses. I start something new, go, bam, bam, bam. And then the last time that happened was five years ago, uh, where, uh, you know, one of my biggest clients at the time, uh, unfortunately, um, and was a consultant at the time still, unfortunately, um, uh, decided to have hostile separation and um, don't want to go into, oops, don't want to go into details but it uh, wasn't pretty and I lost a million dollars of revenue or so practically overnight and for a small company that has like six seven employees uh, that's a lot you know um, to absorb and um, so I had to let everybody go and the way I did it is I made sure that they all had their jobs first Right, and I paid them uh, until they had, and um, yeah, so one of them wanted decided to become a, a music country music player in uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. I said, "Okay, you go, girl." You know, uh, and uh, so I, I served as a reference because she needed to 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 rent an apartment there, and I gave you a, a laptop and uh, the ability to work from there until she found something else, and and all of that. Um, and these relationships still persist. You know, they're still there and they're still strong. Even when you talk, don't talk to those people after two or three years, you know. Uh, uh, that's a bonding experience you will never forget. But at, that was the last moment where I said, look, I've done this. I was so frustrated. I said, I've done this my whole life, right? Think about it. Computer magazine, bestseller, boom, bam, you know. Um, interviewing Bill Gates, journalism, boom, up, boom, you know. Uh, then... Uh, starting the television show Crash, right? Then uh, go to um, uh, the Holtzman Publishing Group, bam, you know, up there, crash. <laughs> so it's like World Bank, do crash, you know? And uh, so I was, I was like, I was doubting myself. So I thought, you know, is there something wrong with me? Because like all of my life, man, I'm, I, I need a break, you know? And um, so I signed up for a coaching program by Dan Sullivan called the Strategic Coach. Um, that's the a program where like people like um, uh, Dean Graziosi and, and Russell Brinson, uh, uh, 
they go there, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, to uh, for training, uh, he's the, he's the entrepreneur's coach, right? For sure. Yeah. And I got in the bottom on that in the bottom of that program, right? So don't get me wrong, but the uh, one of the first things that that they taught, tell you, teach you is about the concept of the unique ability. So what is that you are like? You have something, Lucas, that you are uniquely good at, right? People know you for it. They come to you for advice, but you don't think it's anything special because it comes so easy to you. That is your superpower, right? So I went back. So in one, so in the, there's an exercise called Colby, which I loved, you know, as an assessment, and I eventually got certified in that because I, I absolutely loved it. Um, but um, one another part of the exercise was to interview people in your life. So where did you make a difference to me, right? So I went to my clients, and so in that industry that I was in, localization. When you're a consultant, the average engagement period is four point and a half months. Mine was five point seven years. So I went back and I, and I asked them, "So why why do you keep me on board so long?" You know, uh, and they all said the same thing: not because of your knowledge. I'm like, okay, so <laughs> they, they said, "No, no, we 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 like your knowledge, right? So we had all of your knowledge. We learned so much from you, but." The reason we keep you on board so long, because there are other people that have your knowledge also, right? So the reason we keep you on board so long is you made me a better manager, my team a better team, and my vendor a better vendor. And I say, you know what? I'm a coach. If that's the differentiating factor, then I might as well make that uh, official. And that's when I, when I pivoted again and said, you know what? I I need to learn about this Colby thing, uh, uh, the concept of corner strength. I need other people to find out their unique ability and their strength, mm -hmm. what they're good at, and then help them um, you know, build their careers and their businesses on that. So, and then one thing led to the other. And so I did that. And then I realized once I tell people what they're good at, I didn't have anything to push them forward. Again, serving, so how can I serve them more? And then I took a hundred dollar uh, course by Tony Robbins, the breakthrough system, um, which I still use these principles from that hundred dollar course they were they were awesome you know so that got me into tony robbins and then i eventually got certified in the strategic intervention and so i took that and then i realized that strategic intervention has good tools but it misses a curriculum like something to move people forward so because you sometimes meet with clients and they say andrew i love you but i was too busy this week i couldn't do anything and then i didn't know what to do to push them forward. And then I came across uh, Brendan Bouchard's book, you know, the uh, High Performance Habits. And I read that book. And oh, it's right here. Yeah, exactly. That book. And I was like three chapters in, uh, two chapters in. And so, you know, what? I, uh, I love this. I, I, would, I, want, I want to become a coach in that. And surely enough, like no, no joke, I was in Ireland, Galway, Ireland at the time. Uh, that very moment, the phone rings. And it's like one of Brendan Bouchard's teams and you know, asking me about high performance coaching for the program if I wanted to join, you know? So, <laughs> so and then the rest is history, you know, you know we, we met there and, and that was one of the best decisions I ever made. That's awesome, yeah. And I'm just so grateful that we got to meet there and you've been a true role model, I can say also uh, for Thank me, you. just seeing how you take the process and just went with it. And there are, 
just so many follow-up questions from what you've been sharing and we're going to jump into that just going back all the way because Joe Dispanza was actually a person who's been mentioned multiple times on this podcast as I can remember and I think the doesn't he have a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself? Yes uh -huh. uh, I highly just... recommend it it's good <laughs> And you mentioned how you basically had to break that habit yourself. Yeah. Can you can you give a few insights of what that's about and just maybe a few tips you could give us listening if we're struggling like, oh my gosh, I, I know something about myself that I know I need to break. How can I do it? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe um, that... Um, you the life that if you envision it you can make it happen the german part in me probably goes <laughs> it's not enough <laughs> to just envision it but i mean the the person development dictum that i know always is like if you can envision it you can achieve it <laughs> that's probably well, just... well, wherever you are right now lucas whatever you're doing right now your podcast you being a coach the way you live, you know, the way you, know, you manage your relationships, it's all made up. You at one point made a decision that it be so. Yes, it's all made up. Could you have made up a different story of yourself if you had, if you had, said, had so wanted? Of course, right? Everything is made up. The fact that your coach is made up. You could have always said, I want to become, uh, I don't know, a, a, an architect, right? Engineer. So, well, engineer, yeah, you could have said that, right? said that, right? But you didn't, right? So it's totally made up. So could you have made up a different version of yourself? Yes, yes. right? So uh, if, you, if you agree to that, uh, then is it then also true? Could it be true that if you envision a different version of yourself, you will make that happen? It's just as made up. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah, so it's the decision. Is it then true, uh, possibly true, that it's just as hard to make a big vision come true than it is to make a small vision come true? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you like you know when you when you sell coaching services, it is just as hard to to sell a small ticket item than it is to sell a high ticket item, mm -hmm. right? Um, and um, so you make this stuff up. Right? The version that you are, your thoughts are not your thoughts. Your feelings are not your feelings. Your beliefs are not your beliefs. Think about your beliefs, right? So um, who formed your beliefs in, in life? So before I even got conscious about how beliefs work, and I guess that's probably the case for every single one of us, as long as we're not educated, which sadly doesn't happen too much in the usual education system, our beliefs are often the just consequence of how we interpret what other people think of us or the fears, the biases that we just have. And so it's just not consciously created and just more of a reaction, I'd say. Yeah. So it's, it's typically first your parents, right? Then it's your friends in school. Uh, then you go to college maybe or, or to work and then it's people there. Right, and very often that's by coincidence, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the country that you grew up in, the neighborhood that you grew up in, uh, the lifestyle that your parents could afford, the values that they have, that shape your belief system, right? If you had been grown up 
into and uh, born into a totally different environment, you would have come out a slightly like maybe it's a totally different person, maybe with the same personality makeup, but your but the version of yourself, what you would be doing for work, what you would believe about the world, what you would recognize and see in the world would be totally different. Yeah. Everything is made up. Yes. Yeah. Well, once you realize that, so then you need to think like then you look around, look around your house right now. Everything that everything almost everything in your house right now has been made up by people that are less intelligent and smart than you are. Once you understand that, you know that you know you're in charge. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, and when you realize that you have pet, for example, when I work with with women who move from one toxic relationship into the next. There's a pattern there, right? That needs to be disrupted. And you can define a different version of yourself to not let that happen, but it's hard. And here's why it's hard. Um, because every emotion that you have is uh, uh, forms a chemical response in your body, right? So a hormone, right? It's either dopamine or, or serotonin or uh, cortisol, like whatever. So every emotion, every feeling that you have, the way you live your life puts a chemical composition in your body that your autonomous nervous, no, simply your sympathetic nervous system craves. Right? So let's say you're always under stress and you have that cortisol in your body all the time. And now you get into a, to, to a period where everything is nice and there's no stress. And you're successful. Your 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 sympathetic sympathetic nervous system that says to your brain that tells your brain something is off. Where's my cortisol? I need my cortisol, right? And we know from from neuroscience that the the cognitive part of the, that, that a person or that the brain prepares for an action before the person is aware of their desire to take that action. So you may think that. All of your decisions are logical, then in the gray matter of your brain. No, they're being formed in uh, the limbic system or in the, in, the, in the primal system of the brain where there's no capacity for language, mm -hmm. right? So that's, for example, why when you, have you ever seen somebody, look them, look them in the eye and said, you know what, I don't know what it is about this person, but something is off, something yeah. is weird. And you cannot say what it is. Because you make that decision in the limbic system of your brain, where there's no capacity for language, that's, that's why the only thing you can say is it doesn't feel right. right. But you make those decisions there, and then you do it, and then you rationalize why you want your behavior. So all, all of you perfectionists and people that are very logical right now, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> you know, you're, just, you're, you're just rationalizing your, 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 your actions. Uh, uh, deeper and differently than most of us, right? So, so once you understand that, so anyway, so that, that that's where that all happens. So now the, the 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 sympathetic nervous system tells you, you know what, Lucas, something is off. Give me that cortisol, and that signal goes to the brain, and your brain will subconsciously look for stress. Where can I create stress so that my my, uh, my sympathetic nervous system gets the chemical that it wants. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so hard to, to change your habits. 
So first of all, I have to say you just inspired me to basically put up a huge banner saying it's all a story. <laughs> <laughs> it's all made up, yes. That was super powerful. And you just shared, you know, the changing of the habits is a struggle, a challenge, let's say. And it's that thing from what I've been hearing from you also that that was the habit that you need to break and then establish a new one. Could you go into that process of building that habit? Is it also part of just conditioning over time every single day? Or yeah, of course, yeah, of course. That, and that's how I so that was the, the first part of, of my answer to your question, which I never mm -hmm. finished, you know, so let's do this well. So now that we know that uh, everything is made up and you can make up, you can make up any version of yourself. And when you manifest it and you put your energy into it, you will make it happen. Yes. Uh, and we know that you need to uh, literally mind wrestle your, your, your sympathetic nervous system and your brain into submission uh, to make that happen, right? But you can. So then my next question is when you, now that you realize that, how much time do you spend in the morning creating that new vision of yourself? And most people say, well, they're, they're, they're stunned by the question. So we are not, we're not doing anything, right? And then uh, I have Joe Dispenza in my ears. We say, well, when you wake up on the same side, the, the, the same time every morning, get out of bed on the same side every, every morning, go into the shower, wash the same armpit first every morning, right? Uh, go to, uh, into the same car, drive to the same office, meet the same people. Uh, work on the same kind of projects, right? Come back to the same relationships, right? What do you want to change? Right, so, uh, so Joe Dispenza has uh, a package, it's not $20, I think. Um, it's a morning and evening meditation where for about 24 minutes in the morning, you set that vision for yourself. And I do this every morning. Mm -hmm. And then at night, you, um, uh, you reflect with the meditation and you see like how well did I do you know and you know what what are the things I did well and what do I need to do better and and just uh, you know love myself for the progress that I made and that for me has replaced uh, not replaced but enhanced for example Brendan Bashar's exercise when you do that, that uh, the HPX panel when you journal at night mm -hmm. and then you do the meditations very powerful stuff the challenges that it takes 30 days before you see results. Mm -hmm. And we know that from NASA. So NASA did a, did a um, uh, you know, experiment where they put goggles on people and you would see the world upside down and mm -hmm. you had to respond. But I just imagine somebody reaches, reaches the hand from you from, from up here and you reach down to, you also reach down to, to shake the hand, right? So everything's upside down and they learned that between day 25 and 30, something happens in the brain where the brain switches. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes totally normal that everything's upside down and that people can absolutely normally function within that environment, right? It's amazing. But here's the, here's, Chad, here's the trick. The people that took the goggles off only once in those 30 days did not get the results. So yeah, when you start some, so I would say if, if you want to do, if you want to change your life, go to Jordan Dispenza's website, spend $20 on the morning and evening meditation and make it a must to do it every morning and every night and 
after like a month, something switches in the brain. You know, we don't know what it is, but something something happens that that makes you work differently. Wow, so powerful and. Thank you so much just for taking us through that entire journey, giving me a bit of coaching on that end and just leaving us with so many practical pieces. And I just feel like something changed for me just through oh, our conversation. <laughs> so I just want to thank you so much for just doing this with me right now. All right, like you, you're good. So um, you will be you. Uh, you are just a few years behind me. And you know, I think what I've uh, what, what, what I like about your situation is, uh, and that's true for your generation in general, uh, you have access to all of those resources, many of them for free, right? So um, we, when, when I was starting out, I was dependent on the local library and hopefully I found the right good book there. You know? And if you grew up in, a, in, a, in an area where the library was not so great, you were in bad shape. It was, it was very, very hard, right? Mm -hmm. But you have access to everything, right? The way uh, you can communicate, you know, the way you can collaborate. It's so easy right now to reach out to people and form new alliances. You know, like last week, I, I started my alliances with alliance with the uh, COO forum, right? And I gave uh, two presentations there. And uh, easy outreach right so you just need to learn how to how to serve right uh, and that's the, so when you go there say with the, with the attitude i want to sell that's bad but you want to serve first um and and then it works out so but we did not have those opportunities back then you do and when it comes to the new version of yourself whatever the version is I think the version of you is already great, but if you want to change it, right? We, we all want new things in life as we progress. Um, yeah, it takes just as much effort to, to build a big dream than it is to build a small dream. If I had known that earlier, if I had had access to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, to the resources uh, like, like you guys have right now, and if I understood the power of coaching like time, and, and you're doing, you're very smart you have coaches around you and you have people that support you and you, uh, you know, start your journey with an attitude of serving and you have that from the day from day one. Um, so everybody who's listening, he was not taken advantage of it. You cannot go back 30 years later and say, no, I should have, <laughs> because it's over, but do it now. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for the acknowledgement too, Andrew. That means a lot. Yeah, and awesome. <laughs> there's one just super tactical question that pops up in that moment because it's something that I'm also just faced with or thinking about basically every single day. And just what you shared about reaching out, building that connection, going in with the attitude of service, not of sales, and just creating that connection where I know that something that happens for me is like, okay, I really want to have that attitude of service. Obviously, there's, of course, a few hopes in the back mind. I don't think we can erase that ever. But I'm just wondering, are there certain phrases or questions that you use when reaching out to build those connections from a place of service? How can I help? I think, just look, if, if you if like in front of your house right now was a little kid, yes, who just fell off his or her bike and cut his or her knee, right? 
bleeding like crazy, crying like, like, like crazy, no other parent around or adult, as you can see, would you go over and offer your help? Of course. Of course, yeah. So how many people are out there right now that need your help as a coach? Right, and all you gotta do is uh, go over and help. And uh, I think the asking how you can help is more important than how than helping at that stage. I learned that um, in my early martial arts days. Right, I was driving in Munich from from uh, I don't know from my home to somewhere, and and um, so I saw on the right side of the road uh, like a taxi cab, and there was a woman uh, like bent over uh, the the. Uh, the hood and a guy punching into her all right and i stopped the car and i pulled the guy off and you know, he immediately started to attack me and he was very drunk you know um and i wanted to put him into a hold right like an arm lock or so but when somebody's so intoxicated they don't feel pain and they're they're so loose it was very hard for me to do and then a woman attacked me Right, it's like I had that under control. You know, you just escalated the situation. Why are you hurting my husband? <laughs> it's like, and you know, oh there were people standing around them, even and watching them, and didn't do anything. You know, um, and uh, so, and that's when I learned that uh, you sometimes you think you need to help, and uh, it's actually not. People doesn't don't want it, right? So, but ask. So, when you go up consistently, how can I help? Right, so uh, and then there's there there are good ways of doing it and bad ways of doing it and ways that work for you that don't work for others and the ways that work for others are not for you and it's a little bit of trial and error and you will upset a few people with some of the things. That, I give an example in uh, in December. I wanted to end December with like a big bang, right? So like. Uh, because I, all, Brandon always tells us, you know, that's sixty percent of your revenue you're going to make in that amount of time, and. So I joined a program that I think yeah, was, uh, that would absolutely crush it. And it didn't do anything for me, nothing. I hired the people for it. I had professional help. I invested in it, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Um, and I just had to realize that it's, it's the, the platform, the messaging, the approach is not that works for me yet. You know? uh, and there's another, so then I switched the approach in the, um, in, uh, in January and we, and we, 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 we bounced like right away, mm-hmm. but that trial and error will not go away. And, but then again, you need to own it and you say, okay, so how can I, how can I continue to serve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably the German engineer perfection mind also coming into this process. And I want to thank you for simplifying it and just pointing out one thing that I find so interesting that you shared where it's, the asking is actually more important than the doing. Whereas I've heard so many people go, you know, never ask how you can help because you're just only giving them homework. And I always thought there's there's something off with that. And I mean, you already shared on this. If you have a couple of thoughts, uh, please feel free to share them. But it's just something that popped in my into my head where you shared the asking and just the question of how can I help is important. That goes against the grain of what, Many people on social media, let's say, say yeah. of just. I don't. I don't know. Like when I, when I look at uh, Brendan and the work that he does with Growth Day, and and uh, my wife is part of that as well. Uh, the value and the serving uh, and the service that you get and the way they serve—it's all about how can I help and 
and serving. And sometimes you need to give people idea or ideas or you need to give them a program. Um, I think where it becomes iffy is uh, you know that balance between I want to serve and help, but I also need to make money. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so what I've learned is that none of my pro bono clients, none, zero, zilch. Uh, no, I have friends that, that were in a pickle and said, you're a friend of mine, I cannot do this to you. you know? um, uh, they um, uh, didn't receive any results, didn't get any results. Because the moment it got hard, they dropped out. Mm -hmm. right? So the moment it required them to unlearn how to be themselves, right? to do the hard work, to stick with it for 30 days, to adopt uh, practices that they first don't see a value in or, or they don't like, or it uh, uh, takes some mind work for them to, to actually do, do this, they drop out. The people that pay me $500 or $1,000 an hour, they're the ones that show up on time. <laughs> uh, and they're the ones that say, you know what, I, I just paid that guy $12,000. Right, so uh, I better show up. I better do my homework. And uh, in the beginning, I, I struggled with that. It's not a yes, I want to help, but I also need to live. And I've really learned over time that you know, even people, when they when they are struggling financially and they come up with their last dollar, right? So uh, and that dollar is like means the difference. It's a huge difference for them, but they, they, they scrape it somewhere, right, together and invest that into themselves. They get the results, mm -hmm. right? The ones that that are uh, on freebies or they negotiate on your price, even though they have the money, they're typically not the ones who perform. And that's what I've learned. And, and uh, I needed the mindset work that I had to do is feel good about charging a lot of money because I now know that they will receive the results, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Could you go a little bit into that mindset work of just money and how you got confident about the charging piece and just the pricing money conversation in general? Yeah, that was, uh, look, as a, remember when, when I was a localization consultant, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I taught, uh, I worked with companies to localize, that's translate and culturally adapt their, pro their, their products and services better for other markets and in many cases automated mm -hmm. right um my hourly rate was 135 dollars and i was struggling to bring it up to 105. the moment i became a coach it went up to 500 dollars, and it's not a problem you make that up and i learned that the 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 um the different and i have colleagues that do the exact same thing as I do and dwarf me in revenue. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between them and me, and many of them actually think that I'm the more decorated, more experienced coach, right? Uh, the biggest difference between them is mindset. They started out with like, you know, like just as hard to sell a $5,000 program than this to sell a $200 program. Why not sell the five thousand dollar program? <laughs> so, uh, and I'm worth a thousand dollars an hour. That's that's what it is, you know. Uh, I have one coach. She's twenty six. You know, uh, Maria Vent. She's awesome. 
Um, and we are now in the same, uh, we, we're now getting coached by the same coach, but she coached me for a while uh, and she charges $3,000 an hour, <laughs> right? Totally made up. She's worth it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely worth it um, to, to work with her, but she made that number up. <laughs> so, um, and that's so, so I learned from just observing people. people. I would, uh, let, me, let me backtrack. Let me backtrack on this. Yeah. Um, because I see there's a new generation of coaches coming out. Right. So my generation, it's like, well, you've got to get certified. We have to have all the ducks in the row and we have to have all the knowledge first. And then we build uh, our coaching practice. Right. And then hopefully somebody will come. Right. And uh, as you know, when you get certified, the phone doesn't automatically ring. Number one. And number two uh, is just because you're certified doesn't mean that you're a good coach. It just means that you learn some, some techniques. Right. So. Yeah your generation of coaches, right? And I, I, I work with so many right now. Um, they have a different approach. They say, no, I want to surf and I'm worth the money. I don't know yet how, but I have a first idea. I have an idea about the first two steps how I can help them, right? So they sell their idea first and then build it. And some of them that I've seen, Brody Lee is another one, Maria Wendt is another one. They started out that way. And uh, when I first saw them, I was like, yeah, they're like really like, like wet behind their ear and let's see. Um, and they were at the time, right? But today they are amazingly gifted, hardworking coaches that make differences, the difference in so many people's lives, right? But they all started out with the, with, you know, the intention to serve and just start, you know, all you, because all you need to figure out as a coach, and you know that, all you need to figure out as a coach, like, how can I, what's the next step for my client? Mm -hmm. And you only need to stay ahead one step in order to make that happen, right? Um, so there is, and there's an industry coming here right now where, where, where Lots of those coaches come you know, into the like into the profession, uh, and eventually, then they gravitate to something like Brendan Bouchard's CHPC, right? Or uh, another program that are in this Taki Moore's Black Belt program, which is awesome, right? So uh, I, I think in terms of building my own program, uh, the, the teachings that, that Taki Moore has are are um, uh, mind blowing. Right, um, and so I've learned so much from in terms of how to do my own worksheets and how to build my own signature program and how to close and how to do webinars and how to make money with webinars without anybody showing up. And you know, so, so there are really good tricks in there, and uh, it's not expensive, it's not, it's not cheap, but um, all the all the coaches that I see in there become absolutely amazing coaches, but they all serve first. And they learn because they want to serve better. They have a client, they already make money. And then if they realize in that one conversation, they were not able to move them forward. How, what do I need to learn now to get them to that level? When you think about Tony Robbins, that's how he started out. Mm -hmm. 
he took on that when you when you read when you read his books and his story, he took on assignments that he didn't know how to solve. He said, but I will figure it out. And he did, you know. <laughs> right. So uh, that's that's how that works. And too many coaches right now of the older generation, they are spending so much money into in getting certified first and then trying to build their business. And that's where so you asked me, I think the beginning, how did you when you said you want to 10x your investment? Because I'm gonna sell that before I am ready. So like when we went to CHPC, I've already sold, I didn't know how much to charge. I thought just like $5,000 might be a good idea. Turned out the more growing market rate was six. Okay, I just undersold myself, you know. Nobody's ever complained uh, that they got something cheaper. So no harm done, <laughs> right? So, uh, but you know, uh, while I was there at certification, I'd already closed to um, uh, you know, two assignments. So the ten thousand dollars certification, I just made. I made. Uh, I won back while I was sitting there. Why? Because I wanted to help, but I also did not misguide people. I didn't say, uh, you know, what I'm that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, the, I'm certified already, or I'm great at that. I'm just look. I'm doing this here right now because I want to help my. I want to move my clients further. Uh, and, and help them to be more successful faster. And uh, if you're interested, if you want to be some of the, one of the first to try it out, here's my offer, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, it's like when you serve people and you make them an offer like that, uh, it's not so difficult to, uh, to find people that believe in you. Yeah, and I'm very blessed, I, I, I am, uh, Again, like anytime I, that happens, it, it makes me feel warm around my heart, you know. And uh, you know, sometimes like you, you think like, you know, how do I deserve this, you know? But mm -hmm. but yeah, it makes me very happy. So wonderful. So as we start to close our wonderful time today out and this amazing episode, I know we talked and covered a lot. Are there still any things that popped up to you where you go, oh, I still need to share this? Or do you have any parting thoughts? Do I have any parting thoughts? That's like the most difficult question to, to, to answer just, ever. And just asking if there's anything coming up for you that- Usually what happens like the like when I wake up tomorrow, I'm like, I should have said, I should have said that. <laughs> so, then we're just going to do a second episode and just fill in all <laughs> the stuff that you still wanted to share. Yeah, look, I, I think like if, if um, I, I had a hard life, right? So uh, right now I have the life of my dreams. I'm, I'm uh, married to the best woman that I could have written. Uh, I'm so proud of both of my sons. My oldest son doesn't live with us. He's in, in DC right now uh, or New York, um, supporting Facebook, you know? And um, uh, my youngest is going to school here. And uh, so uh, I'm, I, I couldn't feel more blessed uh, with my life right now, but the first 30 years of my life were tough, you know? So I, you know, I, I got molested, raped, beaten. I, I died almost two times. I lost my left leg and my, my skull got punctured. You know, my, um, my relationship with my mother was not great and she was also very heavy on the hands. Uh, or hangers or wooden spoons or what she could, whatever she could find. Uh, she was a very good woman and she loved me. 
but uh, she just did the best that she could with where she was. Uh, and uh, uh, that wasn't always um, the most pleasurable experience. And uh, so I developed type 1 diabetes. And uh, I was told at the time that uh, I could probably live happily until 50 or 55. And you know, so here I am right now <laughs> and, and everything is good. Um, and I have two children and, and, and a great career. I lost my jobs, you know, it's like I, I, I got uh, outed in the press and was unemployable in the entire city and my entire uh, industry. Um, uh, you know, I got divorced and, and you know, I, right now I'm like, if my ex-wife, my high school girlfriend, my ex-wife and my wife would be in the same room together, which actually almost all happened once, um, <laughs> uh, it would not be awkward. But we actually went on vacation with um, my high school girlfriend and uh, her family, right? And her daughter stayed with us, right? So uh, you, no matter how hard and difficult your life is, uh, you, you can turn this around. And uh, I think there's one quote that I, want to, that I want to leave you with, because you can turn this around. If I can do it, you can do it. And I've only told you half of what happened, right? But uh, there is um, a monument in that South or North Dakota. And I, I don't remember, it's, a, you know, the, um, um, which it's one? Called, Mount Rushmore? It's behind Mount Rushmore. It's called the, um, um, ah, come on. Now it's like, it's the, the, what's the, what's the Indian chief that never surrendered? Crazy Horse, the Crazy Horse Memorial. And uh, the uh, sculpture, Kortak Zelkowski, um, he actually started out hammering a statue of Crazy Horse. Um, out of a mountain and he started with a little you know jackhammer alone and uh now it's a, he's, he's passed away and it has become a family affair they've never took, took uh, taken money from the from the government because they felt that uh, a government that uh did genocide on the uh the the uh, native indians in the in the u.s should not uh, fund that memorial and um so, and he said, he has a quote, and I'll leave you with that quote, because I think that is one of the uh, most powerful quotes. And hopefully I recite that correctly. If not, just look it up, you have the exact words. But he says, uh, life only asks, life asks you one question, only one. And that can only be, uh, sorry, that, that's, sorry. life only asks you one question, only one, have you delivered? And there can only be one answer. Yes. You cannot say I would have delivered if people were more sympathetic to my cause. I would have delivered if I hadn't been crippled and God knows I've been crippled. I would have delivered if I hadn't died. I would have delivered if I had had the money. I don't believe in this, right? Uh, there's only one answer that's yes. So say yes. <laughs> so powerful. Thank you. And if people are now feeling inspired, they want to learn more about you, where would you direct them? I'll go to my website, teamlawless.com. Uh, it's an ever-changing website. Uh, as I tell my students, um, do not as do not as I do, do as I say, because I try th new things all the time. 
And uh, as, I, as you know from the story that I, that I mentioned earlier, sometimes it utterly fails. <laughs> so you don't want to be there, but go there, check it out. There's a lot of, there a lot of blogs, a lot of like longer interviews like that, smaller interviews, shorter interviews, um, some how-tos, uh, some uh, free courses that you can take uh, and the opportunity to fill out an application form and see if we can work together. Yeah, so as always, Everything that we mentioned, all the resources, all the books, all the people, all the links, everything will be put into the show notes for you to enjoy at your own convenience. And that brings me to my very final question, Andrew, that I've been asking every single person who's been on this journey with me so far. And I can kind of guess your answer just given what we've been talking about today, but maybe I'm wrong. That question is what question has made the biggest difference in your life? You will not like that answer. Um, how can I serve? Got it right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for everything, Andrew. This was awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but uh, you hit the right buttons and <laughs> kept me going. So, yeah, thank you. And there you have it, my friend. Congratulations for completing the next step on your master's journey. We hope you enjoyed this episode and got a lot from it to improve your life and work. If you did, please consider taking just one action to help us spread the value. Who do you know who could really benefit from this content right now? Share this episode with them and show them you care about them. Share the episode with your friends and followers on social media or leave us a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Any one of these actions takes less than 60 seconds, but it could change everything for another person. You can find show notes with timestamps, links, quotes, and other details we talked about in this episode at lucascramer.net slash 13. That's L-U-K-A-S-K-R-A-M-E-R dot net slash one three. Finally, I'd love to invite you to join the Master's Journal. Mastery takes consistency, right? Therefore, every Sunday, I send out a simple email with incredibly powerful quotes, clips, coaching questions, and other resources so that every week you have another opportunity to create a life-changing breakthrough. This is also the place where I send out all the new experiments and projects to provide you extra value. One thing I've learned is that mastery also always takes adaptability. Not being scared of moving quickly and trying something new. And as part of the Master's Journal, you will see it all. All you have to do to join is to go to lucascramer.net slash weekly, get yourself signed up for free, and we're ready to rock. That's lucascramer.net slash weekly. I can't wait to see you there. Thanks so much for listening. Have a fantastic rest of your day and see you super soon.